guys, welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and in the minds of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are on episode 17 and in last week's episode 16 I was answering a couple of questions on the impact COVID is having on the office market and any development opportunities that might be out there and then I also got into um, a talk on the 16 personalities also known as the Mayor's Briggs indicator type and uh, or type indicator and that is a really useful thing. A couple of listeners have since contacted me to tell me that they did the test and they found it really useful. So by all means, check that out, guys. You can find uh, the test at 16, the number 16personalities.com and, um, and they have it there. It costs a couple of euro. I'm not sure exactly. So this week, I'm going to be talking about alternative funding. And I'm going to go into just uh, something that happened to me during the week, an offer that I was received that I received. But also, I'm going to be having a conversation with Mr. David Jelly, and David is the founder of a quite new peer-to-peer uh, -peer lending platform called PropertyBridges.com. Now, this is a website that is active in the Irish market, and it's a place where developers and investors come together. It's like a marketplace. And they can, you know, if you have money to say that you're saving, uh, you can lend it to somebody to, to, you know, get a better interest rate than the banks would be charging. Or if you're a builder or a investor, you can use them to borrow the money and you can sometimes move a little bit faster maybe than the banks would move or whatever. So I'm going to be getting into that shortly. But first, as always, I give you a little bit of a, an update. I am currently recording this episode from home because as most of you who are sort of existing listeners will be aware I am I'm expecting well my wife is expecting a baby and it is literally any moment now we're kind of expecting it we're past the 40 week mark and so it's um it's literally a clock now just uh, it could be now it could be tomorrow it could be whenever so I'm trying to get I'm, I'm first of all I'm staying close to home but second of all I am trying to get a couple of episodes in the bag so that I'm not under pressure to put this out on the day that the birth is coming in or something like that so um give you a little bit of an update just the Facebook group is currently sitting at 198 members and uh, by all means guys go and if you think anyone if you know anyone that would be interested in being a part of the behind the facade community you know put them in touch and uh, or or sort of recommend them as a member and i'll be happy to kind of add them in and a quick update on the on my ten thousand burpee challenge that i set myself at the beginning of august it's day 20 now the 20th of august and i am currently at a running total of seven thousand one hundred and twenty five burpees and I can tell you that it's starting to take a toll. My knees have begun to hurt quite a bit from um, my shoulders and my knees. So I've actually had to mix up my technique a bit and I've had to start, you know, bending over and keeping my legs as straight as possible, which is having alternative effects on my hamstrings and stuff. So I'm quite looking forward to getting this over with. I have less than 3000 to go now, which I guess is about six days of, you know, 500 a day or something like that. I'm hoping I can knock this stuff out pretty soon because I really do want to 
finish doing this it's it's starting to just hurt too much to to kind of continue doing it so without further ado i'm going to get into the first part of today's episode which is a bit of a discussion on alternative funding and the reason i kind of thought this would be a great segue into the conversation with david is because during the week i actually received an email and i was offered to come in on some lending for a development project and this is you know you get these kind of offers if you're out there as an investor then people come along and they kind of make offers to you of different products and stuff like that so this one is i'm not going to go into too many specifics because it's i want to maintain some confidentiality for the people who sent it to me but i will give you some ballpark figures this is a bridging loan of about five million and it is in order it's been it's been sought by a very reputable developer and they are looking to buy a site of about 10 million and the site is it's in the region of about two acres and they have full planning permission for something like 300 apartments and it's um so it's a big project and these guys are at the outset of it they what they've done so far they're funding uh, about 50 percent or a little bit more than 50 percent of the purchase of the land with their own cash but they need this little bit of extra cash from investors and they have already organized discussions with investors and different people about a forward sale but it is not yet agreed so that is the reason why they're looking for this bridging finance because if they had the forward sale already agreed they'd be in perfect position to go off and secure terms with a main bank or something but because it's not quite finished yet and perhaps there's a timing issue or whatever, they need to get this organized quicker. So they've managed to get uh, funding terms from several different funders, and they do plan to go back and finalize the terms with these funders when they had the forward sale uh, agreed. And that forward sale is, I mean, who knows how long it would take between solicitors back and forth and things like that. But the term of this loan is going to be 18 months and it'll pay you 10% per annum interest. And so now in the event that this forward funding agreement comes in very, very quickly, and who knows how quickly they, this is possible, but they've basically agreed a minimum payment to the investors of about six months of rent so or of interest. So it means that at the very minimum, you're looking at 10%, uh, well, 5% of your, in, of your money paid back to you. Uh, there's going to be the various legal charges over the site that you would expect there to be. And um, they've also basically got a agreement that the, the money will not be pay, uh, paid to these people unless the, the value of the site comes in at a greater amount than what they're buying it for. And the reason they're able to do that is because it is actually an option that these people are buying. And so the option was negotiated before planning permission was obtained. And because of that, they got it at a better price and that they didn't anticipate getting as many units in their planning permission so all to all in all it's about i guess it's in the region of 45 percent loan to value with security um in place and it'll it'll basically give you two times your cover so the market would have to completely collapse and 50 percent of the value of this site would have to kind of be knocked before you'd actually suffer a loss so uh, and then the plan is that you, you will get your money back 
via them refinancing with one of the funders that they already have terms from. And what they basically want to do is wait until they have the forward sale in place. And that will mean that once they have the forward sale in place, then the funders that they're talking to will be much more easy to negotiate, I guess, because they actually have an exit plan already worked out. So it just shows you, I thought I'd bring this up specifically because there are so many of you guys uh, listening today that are young and they're only at the very beginning of their career and they are looking at, you know, the B or 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 uh, method that I talked about before where you go and you buy a, a residential property and you re- renovate it and then rent it and then refinance it. And it just shows you that the, the, the exit via refi is happening up and down the market from the very smallest deals all the way up to very big deals. And so this was just something I wanted to kind of bring up today as a segue into the discussion that I'm going to have now with David Jelly. David approached me a couple of years ago looking for investment and advice on um, this idea that he had of creating a peer-to-peer in a lending platform. And I had already come across it at the time that we met. I wasn't long back from my time living in the UK. And I had come across Lend Invest and a couple of other lenders over there that have a similar model. And so I'm very interested to see how he did in the Irish market. And I've been watching David build the company and I've been meaning to get him on the podcast for a while. So David's only in his 30s and he became a startup founder recently enough. So I think his journey is going to be very interesting for a number of you guys listening in that are starting out in your career and just wondering how do people go about it? What are the thoughts and processes that are going through their minds at the time? So without further ado, here is a conversation with Mr. David Jelly, founder of PropertyBridges.com. So in last week's episode, I said that I would um, be talking about alternative finance. And true to my word, I have actually done something a little bit better. I brought a friend of mine, David Jelly, who is the founder of Property Bridges. And Property Bridges is a peer-to-peer lending platform for real estate or property investment and development. And uh, so welcome, David. It's great to have you on board, and I'm looking forward to today's conversation. Hi, Gavin. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. Not at all, not at all, David. So I was thinking, I mean, obviously you're a prop tech founder and uh, you're a startup. You've gone from startup to um, to now. I saw today that you've funded a project in five minutes or something like that, which is very impressive. Before we get into all of that, I thought we'd kick off a little backstory just to give the uh, the audience some context. So can you just give us a, you know, a short kind of... Um, overview of your upbringing and uh, you know school and uh, what does that look like yeah so i i would have grown up in in armagh and um, the son of a, a, a local um housing developer in, in armagh so dad sort of uh, started off in, in as a joiner and um, kind of worked his way up into site foreman and then i guess when my brother and i were young he he kind of went off on his own and started developing houses uh, on his own. Um, always a, a small local operation, but um, you know, he built very uh, quality homes um, that he was, he was very proud of. Um, so he always encouraged my brother and I um, not to get into the family business. So um, went to school, I went to school in Portadown College, um, the same school as, as Rory Vest. 
and then following that I came down to Dublin. I studied um, banking and finance in UCD, um, a BCom specialising in, in banking and finance. And then throughout university, my, my interest really lay in the equity markets, stocks and shares, um, investments, finance. And that's, that's what I pursued in my career. Um, so left UCD, um, got a job in, in banking. I became a derivatives analyst in the FSC or Toronto Dominion Bank. Then the crash happened in um, 08, 09. And I'm, I'm sure you'll, you'll remember this, Gavin, but <laughs> Dublin was a depressing place to be back then wasteland it would be a good description yeah yeah i mean you couldn't um open open a newspaper turn on the radio without doom and gloom so at that stage um, i decided to make the move to london i mean i was working in finance anyway so london was a natural choice for the career um and i really wanted to get get into a, a front office role in in banking so moved Quit, quit a job in, in Dublin. It was actually a decent job at a reasonable salary. Um, and then I moved to London with, with no job lined up. Um, risky? Yeah. Um, Especially at that time. Uh, it, was, it was risky. Um, and it was risky at the time. But I have to say it was probably one of the best decisions I, I ever made. Um, so actually I moved to London and Within a couple of weeks, I had my first job lined up. Now, the only catch was uh, there's no salary. Oh, wow. Um, so, so you had to kind of learn, prove yourself and, yeah, and learn on so, the job. So, so this was a proprietary trading role. Um, so there was no salary and you had to, you had to kind of make your own, your own profits. Um, Commission. The, the particular role was you're almost set up to set up the, the feel almost in that role. Um, but I, I used it as experience. Um, so I was there for six months. Then I got a job as an options trader with um, a group called Liquid Capital. Oh, and then shortly, them, yeah. shortly after that, um, I got a job as an equity trader in, in Jefferies International. So Jefferies is, is a mid-tier um, US investment bank. Um, it's quite reputable, would have a good reputation in the industry. And I got... got um, a job there, which was my ideal job, really. Um, absolutely, absolutely loved it. So I was there for a couple of years. Unfortunately, it wasn't a great time in the market. Um, so it was only a couple of years there. And then I came back to Dublin. So I moved back to Dublin in 2013. And I started working for a startup called Eagle Alpha. So that was a fintech startup. I was fintech, there for- okay. I was curious, yeah. yeah. So they analyze alternative data um, to get an edge on on the equity markets. So worked there for five years, got experience, what it was like working in a startup environment. Um, so it was great experience, great experience for um, when I went on to set up um, Property Bridges. And I guess the the genesis of, of Property Bridges was, was really, um, you know, before I left London, um, after the financial crisis and with the, the advent of the internet, you did see and peer-to-peer starting to gain traction um, after the financial crisis. You had a um, you know, funding circle in the UK, Lend Invest, which then set up um, a couple of years later. But Yeah, I've heard of Lend Invest, all right, yeah. yeah. So that was kind of a peer, as for, well, that's, that's kind of what you were basing your model on, is it? Ex- exactly, yeah. So, um, and just but- for, I mean, so just to 
roll back a little bit for people who don't know what we're talking about when we say peer-to-peer -peer lending. Can you just give us a little overview of, of the model? Yeah, so peer-to-peer -peer literally means people lending to, to people. So what, what you're doing is you're, um, you're moving away from the traditional model of um, people going to a bank to get a loan. Yeah. And people are actually lending to each other via an online medium, so an on online platform. So uh, it started really with Zopa was the first main kind of commercial platform in the UK. And that allowed people to give individual loans to, to other people. So the, the reason why um, Zopa was set up in the first place was that the founders uh, were very frustrated that when they had their money in the bank, they might have been getting a two or three percent interest rate, but then when they got a loan from the bank, they might have been charged twelve or thirteen percent. Yeah, they they saw a massive margin in the middle, and um, they saw it as very inefficient. So they they thought if if we set up an online platform, if we take a small margin in the middle, but let people lend to other people, well then it'll be a much more efficient um, efficient system. So that's what they did. So if, if you put your money in deposit with Zopa, you might have been getting five or six percent. And if you took a loan from Zopa, you might have been borrowing it at eight or nine percent. So that was the first kind of commercial peer-to-peer um, -peer model that was set up. Then it, so evolved, it evolved further then into funding circle. So they would have lent, um, they would have given small to medium-sized businesses um, just a, an unsecured business loan. And then it evolved further into, into property then. So Lend Invest was uh, the pioneer, really, in, in the UK. Yeah. They, they would have lent for property development, and then they would have taken security. So you're like a marketplace where you, you take both sides and you bring them together, basically, and then you charge a, a margin on. So somebody comes to you and says, I'd like to earn 8% on my money. So I've got 100,000 sitting in the bank and I'm getting less than 1% or I'm, I'm getting in some cases, people are actually getting negative interest rates at the moment. You can say to them, I can give you 8%. And at the same time, a, a developer like me can come in and say, I, I need 100,000 loan. What can you give it to me at 12% or something like that? Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. So a small to medium sized developer will, will come to us um, they'll ask for, uh, let's say, a loan for, for half a million. So we'll do an assessment on that. Um, then if, if, it, if we approve that loan, well, then we would um, take a first charge security on that loan. And then we will put it up on our platform for our investors to, to invest in. So typically, the, the investor might be getting 8%. And then property bridges will will get an arrangement fee for that, right? So so as you say, the the rate to the borrower might be eleven twelve percent, and then the rate to the the investor is going to be eight percent. Okay, so you get an arrangement fee, but you also you get some of that gap in between, do you as a as a percentage, or is that am I wrong? Typically not. Typically okay. not. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Okay. I mean, I can see. And, and so from the point of view of um, speaking, like a lot of our audience are wannabe um, property investors, maybe they haven't made their first move. Why would your, you know, why would property bridges be a better choice than say a traditional bank? Well, in terms, sorry, in terms of investing in 
Um, well, uh, let's. I suppose this is the great thing about being a marketplace is you've got the two sides. I'm thinking from the point of view of being a developer, why would I find it easier to go to you and get money from you rather than going to a traditional bank? Do you Can you move quicker, do you think? Yes, the main advantage we have is we'd move a lot quicker than the bank. Um, but I think even more than that, um, since the global financial crisis and since the property bubble burst in Ireland, uh, the banks really have a lack of appetite to lend for small to medium sized development. Um, so the, the banks might have a minimal minimum threshold. I get so they might only lend on a 5 million euro loan. And they might only land in the greater Dublin area. Um, so it's, it's really to do with the banks, both of a lack of appetite and, and it can be slow to deal with. I, I can speak to that. All right, yeah. And they also require, you know, additional legal team to be involved to review the, the documentation and all this. And it Correct. can be a real nightmare to kind of... Yeah, and there's different departments in the bank. So we're a small team. We're, we're focused on purely... Um, property and property development um, so it's it's much more streamlined process we're, we're we're not really saying that you know we're better than the bank or our model's better we're, we're just saying our model's different so the property market is, is a massive market there's loads of different segments to the market and yes we, we think bank funding is certainly you know a good route to go down for for larger developers we just think for um, some of the smaller developments or some of the developments that the bank might not have an appetite for. You know, we think that our model is is very suitable for that. Mm, yeah, it's it's it sounds like a great product market fit. And then on the other side of it is that you know if you go and put your money on deposit in the bank, you're earning almost no interest at all. Whereas you guys, eight percent is actually a very reasonable figure. It's it's like it's like 10 times basically what you'll earn from almost any bank that's out there at the moment in this market. Yeah, it's, um, we think it's, it's, it's more than reasonable. Um, yeah. We, yeah, as you say, I mean, if your money's in the bank at the minute, you're, you're getting 0%. So you've, if you look at it from an investor's point of view, you've got a number of different options out there. So, you know, you can invest in, in stocks and shares, you can invest in, in a REIT, or, or you can invest in, in property bridges, or you can invest in a buy-to-let property. The thing about stocks and shares is um, we would always advocate having a balanced portfolio. Of course, yeah. To diversify. So we think um, you, know, you should have some of your money in, in stocks and shares and then some of your money in, in property. But it's how you get access to that property. So it can be difficult for some people to access the, the property market. I mean, the traditional way is to own a buy-to-let property, but not not everyone can do that. I mean, I don't have the capital to to go and buy a buy-to-let property. Even if you do have the capital for that, the buy-to-let properties can take an awful lot of management. And it's an awful lot of risk because you're getting a mortgage, you're getting leveraged up on one particular property. What Property Bridges does is it, it lets people invest in the property market from 500 euro. It's um, you know, it's 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 low hassle. So you'd go onto the website, you would do your own research on the different offerings we have. But you've then, already vetted them, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So we we would vet the properties. We would write a credit paper, and we would publish all that information online. So it's it's very transparent, and we would have a number of different 
um, types of offerings as well um, with di different maturities. So, you, I mean, the, the one we had up this week was for six months. It was a social housing development. Others might be 18 months or, or 24 months. So it really, you know, we're, we're giving investors um, a bit more choice as well. Yeah. So if somebody wants uh, to put their money away for six months and no more than six months, that's an option for them. Whereas 18 months, somebody might be thinking, oh, I might want my money back before that, that period is up. So you've given them the both choices, I guess. Yeah, correct, correct. Interesting, yeah. Um, so, it, I mean, it, our investments wouldn't be as liquid as, as a stock, let's say. I mean, um, you, you can buy a stock today and you can sell it tomorrow. Our loans would be um, a fixed term and a fixed rate. So you're locked in for a period of time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Going back to your, your time in Eagle Alpha, which was a fintech, did you pick up any, I mean, what, did that influence your decision to go and start your own business? Yeah, being, being in there and in that environment? Or did you always, you always wanted to start your own business? I think I always wanted to start my own business, but I don't think I could have ever done it without my time in Eagle Alpha. I mean, I, I learned a lot in terms of just being, the, the, the environment I was in beforehand was, you know, it was a large multinational. You know, there was a lot of structure to the role. Um, your role was predefined. It was very, very narrow in nature. Was you, when you work for a startup, you literally have to do everything. And then there's there's different different dynamics as well, and it's just it's a different environment that it it has positives and negatives. I mean, there's there's nowhere it's near not for everyone for sure. Yeah, there's nowhere near as much job security, but in terms of there's a lot more satisfaction whenever the company does well and and it grows. Yeah, because you're part of a small team that kind of everyone shares in the benefits, and your input really makes a difference in, mm -hmm. in a startup. And so tell me this, I mean, obviously going out, starting your own business, that's a risky endeavor, but was there a particular trigger moment or was this something you were planning on for a period of time? I was planning it for, for a while. I mean, I saw the gap, I really saw the gap in the market really for, for funding for small to medium-sized developers. Gavin, you, you probably know yourself. I mean, it was very hard for small to medium-sized developers to get, get finance at all. Yeah, no, I can remember there was a, the options were pretty slim and you had these places. I mean, there's that group Lotus, I think they're called that. Yeah. And that's more of a, of a mezzanine finance type kind of offering where you're paying kind of 15 or 18% interest, but you might have a, a you know, a, a bank loan in the middle there. Um, so you've got, essentially you're taking out two different loans, one with a traditional bank and one with mezzanine. With you guys, you replace those two with just you basically do the entire. Is that correct? Yeah. So we would, all our loans to date have been first charge, meaning that like we lend up to 70% of the value of the asset. 70, so right. Yeah, okay. we, we take first charge security on that. Um, and and that's, that's how we've operated. Will we get into mezzanine debt? As we progress, we might. It's an option we, we might consider. I suppose it depends on the market. If you're making good money where you are, why would you take that extra gamble in a yeah. sense? Yeah. yeah. And we have to really see where the, where the demand in the market is. Um, like if, if rates go down, you know, and we're giving our peer-to-peer -peer lenders 6% instead of 8%, 
maybe some peer-to-peer lenders would like to go in on second charge at ten percent. Uh, but we need to be we need to be careful. Um, there will be regulation coming into peer-to-peer lending, um, so we have to make sure that the the retail lenders understand fully understand the risks involved with with second charge lending. Yeah, of course. Interesting. So starting your firm is obviously a challenging time. Can you describe the f- the first six months? I think I I think you and I had a chat when you were right at that early stage. Um, and you were just... <laughs> invest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had a couple, I was juggling a couple of my own issues at the time, but, um, you, um, can you describe, you know, that period when you actually took the jump? Like what was your first couple of months, you know, like what was the, what were the priorities that you had when you decided to kind of jump in and, and, and start? So it, 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 first of all, it, it wasn't easy. Um, it was very difficult. So I'll just, I'll just bring you through from the very start. So I, I, if anyone doesn't really know the startup ecosystem in, in Ireland, it, I might just give you a quick overview. So there's a lot of supports out there for, for founders. In fairness, Enterprise Ireland and, and the government, there's a lot of good supports out there for budding entrepreneurs. Um, and I guess the first place that, that I started and I would advise people to start is the local enterprise office. So there's a number of different grants that you can get from the local enterprise office, one being the feasibility study. So the feasibility study gives you a 10,000 euro uh, match funding to, to kind of get your idea off the ground. So I went for that. So uh, does that mean that you put your own, you took 10,000 of your own savings and put it to their 10,000 and that was your, your, your feasibility budget, I guess. Correct. So I, I had this idea for, for the peer to peer platform, I don't know, maybe 2015 but everyone has an idea right so execution is a different thing yeah yeah, when you go to enterprise ireland or the ndrc and you've got a you've got a vision some people don't don't really take that that seriously if if you haven't actually taken action to that point it's hard to be taken seriously so then i went to get the feasibility grant to build the platform Um, and then when i had the platform even a minimal minimum viable product at least you've got something. Just from the point of view, uh, there are some listeners here who aren't Irish based. And so just to ex- explain, Enterprise Ireland is a state body that um, provides finance for startup enterprises and stuff. So if you go in to Enterprise Ireland, you can get, isn't it up to 50,000? You can get 50,000 as a kind of a startup grant, basically. Yes, yeah, so 50,000 is a competitive start fund. Uh, the feasibility grant, uh, and then there's there's other supports as well, and uh, I'll go through that because I've kind of went went right through the journey with the enterprise office, NDRC, and then Enterprise Ireland. So I went for the feasibility grant, and I was knocked back on two occasions. So twice they turned you down. Yeah, tenacious yeah. chap that you are. <laughs> but then um, I was literally about to give up, and then they give give me a call. Um, distinctly remember it but um there must have been shortened applications the following month so so just i mean they, they on what basis did they turn you down i mean they thought that you were that your idea was too kind of undercooked to kind of take to feasibility or what would be the reason that they gave you for turning you down at, at the time i, I can't even remember I, I can't even remember why they turned me down yeah I, i'm not sure okay <laughs> You know, it, it must have been something silly for me not to not to remember. 
um, because uh, like they've got a quote. You've got to remember as well. Like these agencies will have a will have a quota. They've got so much money to give out um, on an annual basis and a monthly basis, and they're probably going to pick the, the top ten projects. So maybe I was just coming in as not the wrong month. Yeah. Then like a month later, they gave me a phone call saying, um, you know, we've still got your application on file. Um, do you want to, do you want to apply again this month? I said a word so that they just must have been short that month. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. All right. Yeah. yeah. And then you mentioned NDRC for people who don't know what that is. That's the. So they're an accelerator, an accelerator program. That's part funded by enterprise Ireland. So okay. it's a three month business accelerator. So I went through the feasibility study. So I put in 10,000. Um, the local enterprise office matched me with 10,000. So I went off and built a, a peer-to-peer platform, which then I used that to apply to the NDRC. Now, the NDRC knocked me back on the first occasion. Um, so again, um, I had to think of, of different ways. So you have to understand what each different entity is looking for. So the local enterprise office is probably more community-based or, or, or wants a business that's sustainable and, and meaningful to the community. Then the NDRC wants something scalable. So they want a, a digital business that, that can scale. And then Enterprise Ireland will want a number of things, but the two core things Enterprise Ireland wants is they want you to be, to be able to employ people. And they want you to to export as well. So you have to learn what what each different entity wants, and then you have to adjust your application accordingly. Obviously, you can't be fabricating a, a new application, but you have to adjust it to to their their touch points. So the NDRC, I got rejected from their program, which was their Dublin program, and uh, I noticed two weeks later that they had a Waterford program. Oh, okay. So I applied to the Waterford program. Obviously, it must have been less competitive because um, they let me in. And then that was a three-month business accelerator. So I relocated to Waterford for three months, three months to um, go on this accelerator. What kind of stuff do you learn on an accelerator? So the, the first... Is it, is the, it helpful? The first, yeah, the first half of the course is really um, understanding, you know, your product, your product market fit, and doing your market research, going out to different market participants. And then the second half is investor readiness. So it's all about how to pitch to investors, you know, how to market your product, how to, how to raise money. But then in between that, there would have different um, consultants and, and experts that would come in and help you with various aspects of the business. So you might have a marketing expert that's going to come in and, and we'll do a one-on-one with you. Um, you might have someone on, on UX that's going to help you with your website. And then someone that's going to help you with your financial projections on, on accounting. I have to say, like it was a very valuable course for me in, in my stage of progression at that time. Did you say it's funded? So are you getting paid? So it's part it's part funded by Enterprise Ireland, and then there's other VCs and different private funders in there. So um I got fifty thousand for eight percent of the company. Okay, so you gave one percent, um, but you got fifty thousand. Did you what did you use the fifty thousand for? So some of that money goes to pay for the, the program. So then that whenever I got the NDRC, I mean, that really enabled me to, to help quit my job and then really, really go after it. 
So that, that was used to first for, for living costs. I had to take a small, small wage out of that. Then to turn the, the platform into from a minimal viable product into a fun, functioning platform. And then really to launch the business too. The 30, 40 grand that I used, I mean, it, it doesn't really go that far. I, I, I stretched it. I, I certainly stretched that funding. So shortly after I came out of the NDRC, then I met my first angel investor then. Explain to us what that's like. How did you find them, first of all? Did you, were you going to those kind of meetups and things like that? that... So the, meet, the meetups are great. So I did start going to a few meetups around that, that time. But um, I actually met, he actually heard about, about me through the NDRC. I think one of his friends had maybe heard about Property Bridges and, then, and sent him the details. And then he got in touch. I mean, his name is, is Mark Rafferty. He set up GoCar. And he was one of the co-founders of, of Linked Finance. Okay, GoCar, just for people who are listening in, um, there's various, these are businesses around the world where you can walk up to a car and use your phone to basically unlock it and you can then drive the car and you pay a certain amount. I know there's different names for them around the world, but um, I've seen them, I used them when I was living in London. Zipcar, Zipcar, and Zipcar. That's it, and I think they're in the U.S. as well. I think Zipcar is in New York City too. So this guy Mark basically set up the Irish version, which is called GoCar. Yeah. yeah. So he's a founder. He's a startup entrepreneur. He's got good experience in, in in the whole process. So that's a great great kind of guy to have on board as an investor. Yeah. No, he he was exceptional. So he he was a co-founder of Linked Finance. So obviously, Linked Finance is the premier peer-to-peer company in, in Ireland. Um, so whenever he first reached out, obviously I was a little bit wary. Yeah, wary in case. Letting the compet- competition in the door. Yeah, yeah. But I met him for a coffee. We got on great. And then he brought me in to meet one of the other founders of Linked Finance. So I went in there with my business partner at the time. We went in, we, we pitched to them. And then shortly after that, Mark made me an offer to invest in the company. And so Mark does what... You know, no one else has done to this date. He, you know, he wrote 10 bullet points on a page. Um, he gave me a check and we we shook hands and, you know, there was no... That simple. Yeah, there was no, let's get a lawyer to draft up a formal term sheet. It was just... So Mark, 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 yeah, Mark was great. Um, and then he really helped us launch the business. So he would have organized our, our launch event. He would have done all our PR and marketing in the early days. I was at your launch event. That was in the Conrad, wasn't it? In the Conrad, yeah. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he, he was really great getting the business off the ground. And then uh, more recently, he's just taken a back seat. Just because he's done all the hard work. Done all the hard, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so so that, that was how we launched the business. Sorry, sorry. I was going to actually just ask you, given, um, given Mark's you know, involvement and the fact that he was so kind of instrumental in, in that part of it, would you say that there are any habits or behaviors or anything in particular that, that Mark brings that, that you found very valuable and that you learned from? He just had relentless energy. He was, he was a, he was a doer. So takes action. Yeah. And he forces you to do things when you think you're not ready. Pushes you out of your comfort zone. So I didn't think we were ready for the launch party at all. Um, I thought we needed more time, more marketing material. We need to put more time in the launch. 
And um, he was like, no, we just got to do it. And, um, and he was right. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? What they say, they say that you, you know, an entrepreneur is a guy who pushes the airplane off the cliff and then builds it on the way down. <laughs> yeah. You know, push, push a lot of parts off the edge of the cliff and then build a plane as you're falling to the ground, basically. Yeah. When the pressure's on. Yeah. You have no choice but to succeed in that situation. So, so those are the attributes I would, I would say that the, the Mark had. Um, and obviously, they've served him well because he's a, he's a prolific entrepreneur. And it does sound like, I mean, it's something that, whereas obviously you've got to, you've got to bring a certain amount of caution to it. You, you also have to take action. There's a point where you've got to push the, you know, the go button and you've got to actually get off your ass. And, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of sit back and, and what's, what, what I call paralysis by analysis. And you, you sit there and you keep analyzing the deal and you keep analyzing the deal. But somebody like Mark comes along and just says, no, no, that's it. Come on, let's just go. Let's, let's, we're ready. And you're, you could sit back and you could think, no, no, we're not ready yet. I, I still need to, to do more of this. What you're really doing is kind of procrastinating. Yeah. Even though you think that you're, you're coming up with these excuses because you, you, you don't really feel ready rather than that you haven't fully investigated the market. Yeah, that, that's right. There's, there's certainly an element of that. Um, and you're never going to get everything perfect on your first attempt. Like you yeah. have to go to the market, you have to get feedback, then you have to make adjustments. And like we're that's always improving our processes, our website, our, you know, our, our flows. Like, it's a constant, yeah, yeah. it's constant work. And I know that, I can't remember who it said, but somebody in the technology sector said that if you're not embarrassed by your first iteration, of your product then you waited too long basically yeah uh, and so it's you know you really do have to kind of push out there and do it and it's only when it's out there in re- in the real world that you get the feedback on how you can improve it yeah now it does like you have to be conscious of what sector you're into i mean we're in the sector of investments so in terms of regulation on protecting and securing um, the investments all, all of the groundwork and foundations has to be rock solid for that. Of course, yeah. We're talking about, you know, the, the platform and, and the marketing and, and things like that. And so tell us, I mean, in terms of the trends that you're seeing at the moment, you've got, how many deals have you funded at this stage? So we're up to, we've launched um, our 23rd offering. So we've raised about 8 million to date through the platform. Um, 23 offerings we've got just under 3,000 lenders on the platform now. So, so what's uh, your average? What, what, is there an average amount that people lend? Um, it's around 5,000. Okay, so, so, so 5,000 is your average. Okay, that's interesting. So people can invest from 500, but it's, it's you know, you're going to have some people coming in 500, 1,000, but you're always going to get um, a number of investors you're going to put in 20, you know, 50. So the average investment's around five. Right. Okay. And then what, what's the largest somebody has backed a project on? For an, for an individual investor, um, we've had 150,000. Right. Okay. Uh, and then, then we, I mean, we started off pure peer to peer, pure retail investors. We weren't back. Like typically, you won't get that. Like typically, um, a platform like us will have to have some kind of in, institutional funder behind them. But we, we, I mean, we couldn't get that. We just weren't well connected enough. So we, we actually launched the platform really on, on 
a leap of faith. On the strength of your founders, basically, and your investors. Yeah, so on, our, on our marketing. And um, we managed to get the first project away. We, we were raising 265,000. So we're, we're lucky to, to, to get that away. Um, and then we've just worked and, and built up. Like this week, as you mentioned, we raised 200,000 there in, in five minutes. That's amazing. Yeah, the progress. And so you were saying that, so you have an institutional backer now. That's um, yeah, one so of the main after, banks. Yeah, correct. So after we built up a, a track record, um, Lagan Investments, a company from Belfast, um, they invested in the company and then they also invest in some of our loans as well. Right. And But do you have any of the mainstream banks on board? Uh, so it's just, it's like a, a large company basically providing... The, the backstop that you need. Correct, yes. It's a large family office. We also talk with another family office in London and a hedge fund out of London. We would love to speak to, and we've tried to set up you know, meetings with the domestic banks and some of the family offices in, in Ireland as well. Uh, we have some conversations going on, but as yet we've nothing, we've no solid relationship there. So the process you started up in 2018 was it? When did the actual company? It was October October 2018. We first raised money in November 2018. And so the the, the three months in the in the accelerator and all that that was what was that in 2017? That was April 2018. So okay. I came out, came out of the accelerator accelerator in the summer of 2018. So July 2018. And when did you find Mark? I think Sherwood? it was I think it was September time. So you had a couple of months going around knocking on doors and meeting people and he was the first person to kind of say, enough talk, here's some money and let's get on with it kind of thing. That must have been a relief when you when you got that moment. It was a massive relief because um, at that stage, I mean, I essentially burnt through most of the money from the NDRC. I don't think, I mean, it would have been very, very difficult to launch it without Mark mm. uh, at that stage. And tell me this, uh, this is some of the more difficult stuff because I, I, I assume a lot, a lot of our listeners have got ideas to start businesses and, and things like that. And you're, you're there, you're, you're going through your capital that you've got from this Enterprise Ireland and you're starting to kind of get lower and lower and lower in the bank. And was there moments when you kind of started questioning whether this was going to work and were you going to have to kind of fold up the tent at some stage? Did you, did you have a, a date in the future when this, when you weren't going to be able to go any further? There's, um, I think there's a number of things that it's in the very back of your mind. Um, you try not to think about it. You just think, you just try and, try and stay positive and think of everything you can do to, to raise money. And they, they get more desperate <laughs> yeah that's something um, i've talked about before, time goes yeah. on, but you know you never know i mean whenever mark first reached out you know i thought maybe he's trying to get some market intelligence for link finance and you know maybe they're thinking about property and so i was kind of wary when i met him um so, so you just never know you have to meet everyone and I think the expression is you have to kiss a lot of frogs <laughs> well, I think you were, I mean, to be honest, if I was in the same shoes, I would have been wary of, of Mark as well, given his background. And so I think you were very right to, to be concerned. But then again, if you hadn't gone ahead and met him, you wouldn't, have had, you wouldn't have landed him. So it just shows that you do have to take these kind of risks. And obviously, when you're, when you're talking to somebody, you're not giving them every bit of information that would allow them to you know, 
step in and damage your business if that if that was what their ultimate objective was yeah yeah that's right that's right you have to keep a few cards close to your chest and and um, tell us in terms of meeting investors i mean you know there's a lot of people here listening who who haven't gone to that stage yet but when when you were going through those couple of months of meeting investors and you know what was the preparation like i mean did you were you constantly adapting your your story or your pitch based on the previous meeting and you were constantly refining it and improving uh, how much preparation went into each meeting with an investor you're you're constantly adapting and improving and you're even adapting for um depending on the investor as well and um, i mean it's it's not my approach certainly wasn't a, a blanket approach it was very specific and i knew the type of business i had i had to try and find a strategic investor so someone that that maybe had made some money through property mm. or, or someone that had an interest in the in the property market i mean where we weren't a purely online business there was a very you know, very real part of our business which was going out sourcing loans sourcing developments and, and raising money so we, we had to be very strategic or sorry i, I had to be very strategic and yeah, so yeah deal flow for you is actually getting the projects initially anyway i mean i guess now that you've got a name for yourself people are coming to you to to fund the projects yeah, that's right. I mean, it has got easier, but I mean, even this time last year, I mean, we were we were having difficulty, you know, sourcing the deals and trying to get our, our name out there. I mean, this time last year it was just a two man band, really, or or three man w- w- with Mark. But but now it, it is a bit easier to to source the deal sign. It's it certainly well. The fact, I mean, I, when I saw the email today from your team and and it says that you funded this project in five minutes that to me is is your biggest calling card because one of the biggest problems that i would have with you know you, you see a deal you want to do a deal and then you've got this process of going and sitting down with a traditional bank and it might take you weeks and weeks of meeting them and looking for dates in their diary and this and that and and then going off and ticking all the boxes whereas if you're able to fund something in in the space of five minutes then you are suddenly very attractive to me as an option because I'm thinking to myself, this is not something that I'm going to be sitting around waiting for an answer for a long time. If, if it makes sense to you and if you do a credit paper that you know, stacks up and if we tick all the boxes, I can have the money pretty quickly. Um, now, the only thing is, is obviously the 30% has to come from, if I'm, if I'm going to you and I want to borrow some money from you, I need to have 30% of my own money to put down into the deal, basically, yeah? Yeah, so you need to put down 30% equity. That's fascinating. Well, um, David, I just, I've got a couple of final questions that I thought I'd pop in front of you. First of one is the best advice that you ever got. Um, I think I'll maybe, maybe narrow that down, down a bit and bring it back to, um, you know, if you're starting your company and you're trying to raise, raise funding. I mean, Mark would give me the advice that, you know, you shouldn't just be taking funding for funding's sake and you should try and find find someone that's, you know, going to help progress the business or can Strategic. offer yeah, can offer you something more than than the funding itself. As a startup, you're always competing for credibility. Um and I think Lagan and their brand name um gave us that. Um, and then they gave us so much more on, on on top of the money that they put in the business. 
that would have brought so much more to the equation. Yeah, that's great advice. And tell us books, podcasts, or other resources that you would recommend to the audience. Do you have any particular favorites? For, for a business book, um, I love Shoe Dog. Oh, yeah, by the Nike founder, yeah. Um, Phil Knight. Um, it's a brilliant book because it just tells the story of, um, of Nike perfectly. And it t- just tells you Nike might not even have existed if, um, I mean, I don't want to spoil the book, but if their main supplier hadn't have looked for a different distributor in the States, Nike almost turned like a big, a, a huge risk into, um, into the making of the company. I just find it a brilliant story. Yeah, no, I've, I've actually got that on my bookshelf. It's a great book. And um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple of great books out there, all right. And um, get a lot of inspiration from, from reading books from guys that have done it in the past, you know, biographies yeah. and things like that. And then podcast and business wars. Is it great? Oh, yeah. I've seen actually business wars. Yeah. Um, and then final question, just making an impact on the world. Fast forward 25 years, what kind of um, legacy have you left behind? Um, in terms of your business and your career and your life? Uh, that's, a, that's a very deep, deep question. But I guess, um, I mean, what, one, of the, one of the main reasons for setting up the business is that you can make a contribution to society. And I think entrepreneurs in this day and age aren't just all about the money. I think there's, there's a, a social good involved. And uh, whenever I set up the business, there was a chronic housing shortage in, in Ireland. Um, there still is. There yeah. still will be for, for, year, for years and years to come. So I hope that, um, you know, that property bridges will be able to, in, in some way, you know, alleviate that crisis. Um, we're not going to solve it overnight. We're not going to solve it, certainly not on our own. There has to be a number of different parties and political will and, and everything else involved but we hope we can alleviate that in some way but we also hope that we can give the average retail investor a fair crack at the market and, and earning a decent return so yeah, that's that, a great it's a great thing yeah we're just giving people a, a chance to have a stake in their own community so if you know if you see a prop property development and property bridges that's in your county or in your local area that that you want to fund well then you've got the opportunity to fund that um you've got a so you'll have a stake in that you know property investment and you'll be able to the regenerate or or develop an area that that's that's close to you so that's really the the what what we what we're trying to do um so by no means changing the world but trying to make uh, um trying to do our, our little bit to make to make Ireland a, a little bit better. Well, on that, David, it's been great talking to you. Thanks very much. And uh, wishing you guys in propertybridges.com the best of luck. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to connect with you? I'm LinkedIn. Yeah. David Jelly. Great stuff. All right, David, thanks very much and um, good luck. Perfect. Thanks, Gavin. So that's it for episode 17 of Behind the Facade. Thank you so much for listening. 
You will find web links to the various things discussed today in the show notes. If you found this episode useful, I'd be very grateful if you'd share it with a friend or colleague who you think might get some value from it. Alternatively, if you get a moment, please consider leaving a review over on iTunes or whichever platform you're listening to. This really helps me get the podcast up the rankings and gets it noticed and things like that. If you have a question or topic you would like me to cover in future episodes, please join the Facebook group Behind the Facade Community where you can get access to exclusive content and my weekly live videos where I offer advice and guidance and stuff. Lastly, if you want to connect with me more um, or learn more about me, you should sign up to my newsletter over on gavinjgallaher.com forward slash go or you can subscribe to my YouTube channel PropTech TV where most of my content gets sent uh, or you can do both. So until next week, guys, have a great week and speak to you soon. Mm-hmm.